Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and grow weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Good morning, church. If you've come in this morning and you feel alone or feel forgotten or feel weak, this part of Isaiah 40 is such a good reminder. And I know for some of you, the news and the events of this week have brought concern or anger or fear. And I want to start by reminding you this morning that we serve the everlasting God. And he is still in control. And he is still good. And he is still our God. We're called to wait on him. To find strength in him. To know that we have not been forgotten by him. My prayer today is the same as it is each week as we come together. That God would use our time as we pray together, as we hear from his word, to strengthen us and to give us hope for the week to come. So that's my prayer for us. And, and I'm glad for the chance to be together. And I'm also very glad that next week some of us will actually be together in this room. So I won't give you many details now. Watch for more this week. But next Sunday, we will have our first in-person gathering for those who are able. And I recognize that some of you, for a variety of reasons, are not willing or able yet, and that is, that's okay. But for those of you who can, we will be here 10 o'clock next Sunday morning. If you can't be with us, there will be a, a live Zoom feed for you and also a recording. So we are going to work hard to serve you well. But for those of you who can, uh, watch for communication this week about what to expect when you show up um, next week. Of course, this morning, we are still going to meet at 1045 on Zoom, so I will look forward to seeing you there. Well, this time, we're going to go to prayer. I want to pray for you and with you. And as we pray, I'm going to devote part of our prayer this morning, just praying for our nation. If you've had any awareness of the news um, this week, you know that this has been a a volatile week in many ways. And for some of you, this hits personally, and for others, not as much. But I think we all agree that our nation is in a time of unrest, and we have been, and it's only been heightened this week. And we started with that reading from Isaiah 40, and I just want to remind you that we serve a God who's in control. We serve a God who has a plan. And we should pray. It's easy to say we all we can do is pray. Well, we can pray, and we know that God hears our prayers, and there should be more that we do 
but prayer should not be overlooked. So I'm going to pray for us and encourage you to continue praying for the unity and peace of our nation and that God would receive glory um, through this situation and through the work of his church. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, you are the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. And we find hope in knowing that you do not faint or grow weary, and that your understanding is unsearchable. So we come to you today, we've been reminded this week of the evil of our world, of the destructive nature of sin, and also of our inability to change hearts and minds. We know that you have called us to be obedient, so we ask that you would make us faithful. Would you make us ready to love and to serve our neighbors? We also know that we need you to do your work of changing hearts, and we ask that you would start with ours. Would you remind us daily that we are created in your image and we are to love others as fellow image bearers? Now, we confess that we have sinned. None of us are without sin. And each day of each week, we need you. We need your mercy. We need your forgiveness. We thank you for the promise that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us through the work of Jesus. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the prayer that he taught us to pray, and it is truly the prayer of our hearts this morning. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is our prayer. Now as we turn to your word, we ask you to speak to us. I know how weak I am on my own and that I have nothing to say that can change a heart. But we believe that your word is powerful and through your word you can do great things in us. And so we ask that your will would be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope you will take your Bibles, settle in. Last week on your couch, potentially, so enjoy it. Mark chapter 4. This morning, as we go to God's Word, we're going to consider what our Lord says about dirt and ears. Yeah, you heard me right. Dirt and ears. To get a little more specific, we're going to read and consider a sermon, a message delivered by our Lord, in which he, he explains that there are different kinds of dirt, different kinds of soil. Some soil is ready to receive a seed and to produce fruit. But there is other soil that is not rightly prepared. It's not fertile enough to receive a seed and to produce a harvest. Like I said, it's a, a message about dirt and ears. And this is the message that our Lord gave to a large crowd 
a crowd that was gathered on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And this is his message, a message about dirt and seeds and harvests. And if that sounds odd to you, you are not alone. What we're going to see is that his disciples were also a little bit confused about why he said and spoke the way he did. But here's the reality. While the message does consist of dirt and seeds and harvest, it's actually a teaching about ears and hearing and hearts. Okay, I'll I'll put aside the imagery for a minute. Here's something I think we all know to be true. That the gospel of Jesus, the message of salvation, for those of us who have believed, is powerful. It is good news, and we cling to it as our hope. We see the beauty of the gospel. But we also know that there are many who do not. The gospel is not always well received. There are many who hear it, but for them, they don't see it as beautiful. There are others who hear the gospel and at least initially seem to receive it with joy. But over time, they fall away. Or to return to the imagery, there are those who have hearts like good soil, but there are others whose hearts don't allow the seed of the gospel to to get in and to bear fruit. Unfortunately, it's a a reality that we, we know to be true that not everyone who hears the gospel believes. And not all who profess Christ show evidence of genuine faith. We've seen it in our lives. We've also seen it in Mark. As we've worked over these last couple of chapters, we've seen these two groups emerging. Those who believe in Jesus and who become his true followers and others who who hear his teaching and see his miracles, and yet do not believe in him as Messiah. There's these two distinct groups, and we've talked about them in different ways over the last few weeks. Maybe this will sound familiar. We've talked about the the crowds and the called. And then we listened as Jesus spoke about his family and his true family. There were those who were on the inside with Jesus and those who were on the outside separated from Jesus. And what we recognize is that all of these people are seeing and hearing the same things. But it's not having the same effect on them all. Here's Jesus, the Son of God in flesh, teaching with authority, forgiving sins, healing the sick, lame, blind, and deaf, casting out demons. And yet with all of that, the question must be asked, how could so many see and not believe? Why are there so many who see the work of Jesus and yet remain blind to who he is? So many who hear the words of Jesus and yet remain deaf to what he says. As we come to Mark 4, we have Jesus on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, which a large crowd gathered. And what Jesus does is he speaks to this crowd that is made up of people from both of these groups. And he speaks to this crowd and acknowledges 
that the gospel has gone out, that he has revealed himself and his message has been made known, but that people respond to the gospel in different ways. This is the heart of his message. These different receptions. It's a message about dirt. And it's a message about ears. So let's read the words of Jesus. This sermon he preached on the sea of the shore of Galilee to a, a large group that had gathered. Eventually we're going to make it all the way to verse 20, but we're going to start by reading the first nine verses. Mark chapter 4. Hear the word of God. Again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into the boat and set in on it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose and it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it out and yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil, produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, and a hundred-fold. And Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Now, as always, I want us to recognize where we are and what's going on as, as Jesus delivers this message. He's been ministering in and around Capernaum, a port city on the Sea of Galilee. We've just seen this interaction with he and his family and he and the scribes. Now he goes back out to the sea and this large crowd gathers. And what we've seen over the past couple of weeks is that he has received opposition, most notably from his family and from religious leaders, but still large crowds are coming to him. And we know that these crowds are gathering for a variety of reasons. No doubt, there are some who have seen him and truly believe that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. There are others who are coming because he has the power to heal. Some coming because he has the ability to cast out demons. And surely there are some there simply because crowds draw crowds. So here they are on the Sea of Galilee, a crowd gathered, and a crowd so large, did you notice what Jesus does? In order to speak to them all, he, he gets in a boat and goes out a little way into the sea. So they're all there on the shore, and he's created this little floating stage from which he can speak to the whole crowd. And with our current situation, we've seen all different creative ways of Churches coming together, whether it be a drive-in service or an online service or an outdoor service. Well, Jesus is not opposed to getting creative. He, he gets in a boat and he pulls out a little bit and he speaks to the crowd that's gathered on the shore. And he, Mark tells us he speaks to them, not plainly, but in parables. 
And one of the parables he shares is this parable about the different kinds of soil. And I've, I've already told you the, the punch, the, the point. That it's a parable about the different ways that people respond to Jesus. And it's significant that he shares this parable with this large crowd at this point in his ministry. At some level, this parable serves as a warning to those who will hear him and yet never believe. It's also meant to teach his true followers what to make of all those who are gathering around but don't truly hear what Jesus is saying. In a minute, we're going to talk more about what Jesus means by what he says, but in our per first pass through, I just want to just say what Jesus said. I want you to just hear this as the crowd heard it. And hopefully you'll understand why as we get to the middle part of the text. But just consider the parable without any explanation. He starts in verse 3. And for now, we're not going to make it anywhere past the first word. He just says, listen. Which may appear just to be him saying, I'm starting. But it's actually more than that. This word, listen, it's a strong word. It's a command. He's imploring the crowd to hear what he says and to take it to heart. He's going to speak in a parable. And honestly, it's a message that many people will not understand. But he begins with this call to listen. And in case you think I'm making too much of one word, it may help to see how he ends what he says. Look down at verse 9. The last phrase of his message, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. See, in this parable, but really also in this whole chapter, it's, it's all about the reality that there will be those who truly hear Jesus and believe, and there will be others who hear their wor his words, but don't have ears to understand. Sure, they have, they have ears on the side of their head, and they may hear his voice, but they don't have ears of faith. He says, listen. He gives the parable. He ends with this call to hear. And we see it throughout the chapter. You could look down at verse 23. See, moves on to another parable. Again, he says, anyone who has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to his disciples, pay attention to what you hear. As we read that first word in our passage, it may just sound like a a starting point. But what Jesus is doing is he's driving home the main point of his parable. That there will be those who truly hear, but there will be many who do not. In the parable, Jesus describes different people, different responses. And he uses this imagery of four different kinds of soil. He begins by just saying that there's a, a sower who goes out to sow his field. And of course, in this point in history, this is a very low-tech operation. So you can just picture a guy going out into his field with his seed and casting it a handful at a time, but going over the entire field to make sure that every area is covered with seed. This is the work of the sower, casting the seed and casting it all across the field. The work of the sower is important. If your Bible's like mine, it may say at the top of this paragraph, it may label this as the parable of the sower. 
Well, I can appreciate the emphasis on the sower. I would suggest that perhaps it's more appropriately called the parable of the soils. Because while the parable does talk about the sower, and it does talk about the seed, the main emphasis is on the different kinds of soil, the different places that the seed falls, and how those different soils receive the seed. There's, there's four of them. The first is that some seed would land on a path, and of course every field's a little bit different, but all fields have a perimeter, and often that perimeter is a road or a path. And during this time when major roads weren't common, there were lots of paths that would cross through fields. And of course, the mark of a, of a good path is that it's solid. There's not a lot of loose soil. And as people and animals walk the path day after day, it becomes compacted. It's a good path for walking, but paths aren't great for growing. It's the nature of a path. And when a seed falls on the path, there's actually very little soil there at all. The seed just lays on the top. And what Jesus says is that seeds that fall on paths are great for birds. He says that the birds will come to the path and they will eat the seeds that are lying there. It's great for birds, but now the seed's gone. Of course, once the seed is gone, there's no hope of that seed producing a crop. The sower goes out and he sows and he throws the seed all over to make sure that he's covered the entire field, but some of the seed will fall on the path and the seed that falls on the path will be quickly taken away. Other seed lands on rocky ground. On the rocky ground, there is some soil there, but not much. Look at verse five. Some seed falls on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. There's enough soil there for it to get covered up. And because it's so shallow, it gets a lot of sun. The heat of the rock is there. Any water that comes, it, it gets the seed because there's no soil to soak up the water. It's the perfect recipe for a quick sprouting seed. And it looks great at first, but there's not enough soil. So though it springs up quickly, when it goes to establish roots, it can't go anywhere because it hits the rock. With no roots, as soon as the sun comes out, it withers and dies. Some seed falls on the path, some on rocky soil, and other seed falls on parts of the field that has weeds or thorns. Verse 7, other seed falls among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it out, and it yielded no grain. Of course, the weeds and the thorns, they've been there for a while. They are established, and here comes this seed. And maybe it gets enough water, enough nutrients to sprout. But very quickly, it's, it's smothered. At this point, it may start to seem like the sower is just wasting his time, wasting his seed. He's throwing it everywhere, but some lands on the path, and it's gone right away. Some of it lands on rocks and it withers. Some of it among thorns and it gets choked out. But there is seed that falls on good soil. 
And the seed that falls in the good soil not only survives, but thrives. We see here that that seed produces a great harvest. Did you hear the verbs that Jesus uses in in verse 8? Other seed fell on good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30 and 60-fold and 100-fold. And I I don't want to make too much of this, but it has been suggested that a normal return at this time would be about tenfold. And if that's true, what Jesus is describing is a great and fruitful harvest. It's coming out of this good soil. And so we see the contrast. Four different kinds of soil, four different results. But really, there's only two outcomes, isn't there? They're the seeds that produce fruit. And then there are seeds that do not. I'll tell you, it's, it's hard for me not to want to explain all that's behind this parable. But like I said, I want to go through it this first time and just let you hear what Jesus said. This was his message. A sower seeds and it lands on four different kinds of soil to a varied reception. Ultimately, three types of soil don't produce anything. But one type of soil produces a fruitful harvest. He, he shares this message with this crowd that's gathered on the shore. And then he says this in verse 9. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What we know is that for many in the crowd, they would walk away having heard nothing but a story about dirt and seeds and harvest. They would hear the words of Jesus, but they would not understand the truth behind them. Seems as if many did not have the ears to hear. And the reason we know that is because of the next few verses. The disciples, they go to Jesus and they ask a question. It becomes clear that many in the crowd did not believe, they did not hear. Look at verse 10. When Jesus was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. They said to him, excuse me, he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive. And may indeed hear, but not understand. Lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Let's just pause for a second. These are hard verses. Frankly, some of the hardest verses in the Gospel of Mark, and they deserve an entire sermon. I thought about saving them for next week, and we might come back to them. But we actually need them here, and we need to understand them to a certain extent because it helps us understand the context. See, what we see here is a lot like what we've seen over the past couple weeks, this sandwiching technique of Mark. We have the parable, then we have this interaction with Jesus and his disciples, and then we have the explanation of the parable. And if we understand this middle section, it actually helps us better understand the parable. What we see is that this conversation takes place between Jesus and his disciples, this small group, after the crowds have gone away. 
And after listening to the way that Jesus spoke to the crowds, the the disciples have questions. It doesn't seem to them that he's speaking plainly. He's speaking in parables and with, with no explanation. So they ask him about the parables, not only what they mean, but why. Why use parables in this way? And listen to what Jesus tells them. That as he speaks in parables, he's speaking the truth of the gospel and of himself. And for those who believe in him, the parables will increase their faith as they hear and understand them. But for those who have not believed in him, the parables will have the opposite effect. For them, they will not hear the truth. For them, the parables will be a warning against them. I said it's It's a hard text, hard to understand, hard to explain. I'll try to say it as simply as I can. Jesus is saying that for those who believe in him, parables will be explained and understood and it will cause them to grow in love for Christ and more appreciation for the gospel. But for those who have already rejected him, they will not hear the parable as good news. Instead, it will only further harden their hearts. So one message for one group does good. For the other, it hardens them. Now let's stop and ask an important question. Is Jesus suggesting that he does not want people to hear? No, we know that Jesus came to proclaim the message of salvation. He desires for people to be saved. But as he speaks parables, he's speaking to those who have believed. We see the difference that's made by faith. See, those who have refused to believe will not be given more insight into the kingdom of God. For those who don't believe, the words of Jesus will never be heard as good news. In fact, the more they hear the words of Jesus and the longer they don't respond, the more the words of Jesus are simply a pronouncement of their judgment. They are people who will not hear, and their lack of hearing only worsens their situation. And this seems to be what Jesus is teaching us as he refers to Isaiah. And I wish we had time to unpack the context of Isaiah, but let's try to get the gist of it. He says in verse 12, this is the words of Isaiah speaking of the people of Israel who have hardened their hearts against God, that they may indeed see but not perceive and hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Isaiah is describing a people who, because of the hardness of their hearts, will not hear and will not see. They've ignored God for so long that they've been hardened against him. And now, even as Isaiah comes out announcing the, the, the word of God, they will not hear and they will not see. And if they did hear and they did see, they would turn to him and be forgiven, but they won't. Because of their rebellion, they don't see their need for forgiveness. It's a condition of their hearts that they will never see or never hear. And and maybe you don't understand all of that. It's, It's a complicated passage, and I may not have done the best at explaining it, but but hear this. What we see here is the danger of hearing and not responding. That their unbelief 
has led them to a dullness of hearing. It's a good warning for us. For those of us who sit underneath the hearing of God's word week in and week out, if we hear and don't respond, we are putting ourselves in a place where eventually we may be completely hardened to the truth and unable to hear or to see. That's what Jesus is describing here. This is a very serious situation. In the parables, he's revealing himself, but they don't understand. Therefore, for them, it's a warning of their judgment. Those who have rejected Jesus, those who don't have eyes and ears of faith, for them, the parables are not clear. But for those who trust in him, we are given the ability to hear and to see. We hear the words of Jesus and they're beautiful. Jesus tells his disciples there in verse 11, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. He tells them, you have been shown the mystery. You can see, you can hear. You and I, church, if we're in Christ, we can discern the beauty of the gospel. We see our need, we see the work of Christ. there's many who do not. If you go to the parallel passage, see Matthew and Luke both tell the story as well. I just want to read the section from Matthew because it, it may fill out this section just a bit more. Matthew 13, starting in verse 15, it says, for this people's heart has grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. He says to his disciples, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. It's a hard saying, and hard to explain. And on this day, I'm glad you won't be able to catch me at the door and ask me any more questions. But it's an important saying to recognize that as Jesus speaks, we must listen. And to refuse to hear him, to not believe, puts us into a very dangerous place. Maybe you can understand now more so why Jesus said after he gave the parable, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. If you hear what I'm saying, respond. He's acknowledging in verse 9 and through his quoting of Isaiah that many because of the hardness of their hearts will not hear. Now we know this, that all who come to Jesus with repentance and faith he will never turn away. But for many, they will never turn to him. For them, the gospel is not seen as good news as to be prized above all things. But for his disciples, they do love Jesus. They are willing to hear. And for them, he explains the parable. And what we've already acknowledged is that the parable also is about hearing. Four different soils that describes four different receptions of the gospel. And if, if you've checked out for the last few minutes, can I just invite you back? Because 
This is the most important part we'll talk about this, this morning. We see the explanation of this parable, what Jesus is revealing to us. He starts in verse 14 and says that the sower sows the word. We stop there. We, we start to see this as an explanation to the parable. Instead of talking about seed, now he's talking about the word. A sower goes out sowing the word of God. There's the sower and the sowing of the word, and he does so liberally so that the word is spread everywhere. And if we just stop there, there are things to consider. We could talk about the importance of sowing, the necessity of sharing the gospel, of spreading it far and wide. It's important. But the emphasis here is actually not on the sower and on the seed as much as it is on the soil. It's about the soil and the different kinds of hearers. And Jesus goes through the four soils again. And he explains how they relate to those who hear and don't hear. Verse 15. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So once again, some seed falls on the path. It falls on hard ground. And Jesus is explaining that, that some will hear the word, they will hear the gospel, and yet their hearts are hardened towards the word, and so it will not be received. And I want to suggest that, sadly, there are many, many people with whom maybe you or I have shared the gospel. And they fall into this category. I think this is the category that Jesus is talking about in verse 12. They hear the word, but their hearts are unstirred. As we think about this group of people, their, their complacency towards the gospel may come across in different ways. For some, it might be silent dismissal and complete unresponsiveness. Others may be more vocal about their rejection. But in any case, the heart condition is the same. Their hearts are unresponsive to the gospel. They don't see the point. For them, it does not make sense. Jesus says that in their case, Satan comes and takes away the seed that lies on the ground of their hearts. And this is not to suggest that something has happened to them that nullifies their responsibility. Now, it's an acknowledgement of the effects of sin. We live in this world that's opposed to God. And this world has a hardening effect. And Satan is attacking those. He is working against God. The scriptures tell us in 2 Corinthians 4. And if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. A hard reality that there is many, because of their sin and because of the work of Satan, are unresponsive to the gospel. It never gets past their ears. They have ears, but they do not hear. Now let me point this out, that in the parable, the word is taken to them. 
The fact that some will not respond must never be a reason for us not to keep sharing. The seed, the word, is sown liberally, and some goes on the path. But what the words of Jesus help us understand is that there will be some for whom the word has no effect. And this is something we grieve. That's the first kind of here, the hardened and the unresponsive. And then we see the, the second, the shallow and the weak. This is the seed that Jesus describes as falling on rocky ground. Verse 16. These are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arise on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Church, can I tell you? These verses break my heart. Because in these verses, I see faces and names. Maybe you do too. We've seen this happen. A person hears the gospel and we rejoice over their acceptance of Christ. At the start, they seem to be all in. The verse says, immediately they receive it with joy. But remember, this is the seed that has fallen on rocky ground. We don't see the rock underneath. All we see is that quick sprout. But as the sun comes out, what Jesus describes as tribulation and persecution, it's clear there is no depth of root. There's an appearance of faith, but no depth. And so while the things of God seem good at first and they, they see the beneficial aspects of following Christ, their faith is not strong enough to stand against trouble and trials. You know, for those of us who know God, we recognize that, that trials and persecution, it's a chance to draw near to God and be strengthened in Him. But for some, a trial reveals that they never truly believed. For them, a trial becomes a reason to doubt God, to deny His goodness. Or maybe in the case of persecution, they realize that living for Jesus is far harder than they ever expected it would be. We talk about this often. That to follow Jesus means that we must die to ourselves. It means turning away from sin. It means standing up for what's true, and that's not easy. And for some, the difficulty is like the sun shining on a plant with no roots. They wither and die. And, and let's be clear. What Jesus is not suggesting is that there are some who have truly believed who he has saved who will fall away. No, what he's describing here are those who had an appearance of faith but never truly believed. It's like the crowd that follows Jesus and they're excited about Jesus and they're bringing their friends to come and to see Jesus. But in the end, all they cared about was his healing. They were there for the sake of the crowd and the show. Eventually, they walk away. We know this happens still. We know it because we have seen it. We know it because Jesus tells us. That's the second kind of soil, the second kind of hearer, and the third is very similar. 
For some, their lack of true faith is revealed in times of trouble and trials. That's what we just saw. Others are drawn away because of the lure of sin and the love of the world. Verse 18. Others are sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke out the word and it proves unfruitful. You know this is true. That life is busy and full of distractions. And the world is full of things that can grab our hearts and become our source of happiness. I can't help but think about friends I had in high school and college who made radical professions of faith and of commitment to Christ. But then over time, there's the lures of the world. And not bad things at all. Jobs, relationships, educational pursuits, starting a business, growing a family, all good things. But for many, all the things of life can come together and take their eyes off of their need for Christ. What once seemed beautiful and good and necessary now seems secondary, something that can be dismissed for a while. Maybe they would say, I, I know Jesus is important, just I don't have time right now. Maybe later on, things will change and then I will take my faith more seriously. Once I'm out of school, once I, the kids are in a different situation, once my marriage is in a different situation, but right now I'm trying to get established in my career. Right now I'm, I'm close to retirement. I just need to focus on that so I can make sure I'm ready. At this point in my life, I finally have time to do the things I've always wanted to do and Jesus will connect at some point. Not bad things. Careers are good. Hobbies are good. Family, good gift from God. But what Jesus is saying is that for some, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, it's deceitful. The desire for other things chokes out the word. What they once saw as needful and important is choked out by other things. And don't miss the seriousness of what Jesus is saying. It proves that their faith was never genuine. And this should be a warning for us all. A warning to keep our eyes on Christ. A warning to fight against sin, to recognize the deceitfulness of things that vie for our attention above God. A warning to be a careful about what we set our affections on. I appreciate what John Calvin wrote about this verse. He said, each of us ought to endeavor to tear out the thorns that are in our hearts. If we do not choose, the word of God will be choked out. If there's not one of us whose heart is not filled with a vast quantity, even a thick forest of thorns. I know that it's true in my life. I suspect it is in yours. That we must daily rid our hearts of things that would steal our affections for Christ. And once again, what Jesus is suggesting is not that those who are truly his will fall away. 
But what he is teaching us, what we're going to see in a minute, is that those who are truly his will continue to fight until the end. Held by him, we will continue the fight of faith. We all have thorns. But remember the words of Jesus. If anyone comes after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world? Forfeit his soul. What can man give in return for his soul? I want us to be careful not to hear this parable, and especially his first three soils, and just assume that it's talking about other people. What Jesus is making clear is that for some, the thorns will continue to grow and eventually reveal that faith was never genuine. Some, maybe some of us, will give way to the things of the world. So we put this together with the hard soil and the shallow soil. We recognize how many people there are that hear the word, who hear the gospel, but never truly believe. We've seen three categories of hearers, but all the same outcome. Hearts that have never truly been changed. But thankfully, Jesus does not stop there. While there's many who don't have saving faith, there's also good soil. Good soil that produces good fruit. And we see that in verse 20. But those who are sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Maybe you notice that nothing has changed in this parable with the sower or the seed. The sower and the seed are the same throughout. What changes is the quality of the soil. As the word goes out, it will often fall on soil that is hard, stony, or thorny. But there's also good soil that has been prepared by God to receive the word in faith. And as those who have been called to proclaim the message, this is good news. That there are those who have been prepared by God to hear and to receive the word. Our calling is clear. Spread the seed. Spread it. Share the word widely. Proclaim the good news of Jesus far and wide. And then be confident that God has prepared good soil that will receive the word and bear fruit as an evidence of faith. Notice how Jesus describes those who are called the good soil. They hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Once again, we have this reference to hearing. Of course, this is a a reference to true hearing. They hear the word with ears of faith. They accept it and then they bear fruit. What Jesus tells us is that genuine faith produces fruit. And we don't earn faith by our works, but by our works we prove our faith. All who truly believe will have lives of good fruit. Jesus says in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. All those who are in Christ who abide in him will have lives that produce fruit. 
Jesus says that the good soil produces 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. I think that tells us two things. First, these measures represent a fruitful harvest. I mentioned it earlier. Tenfold might have been the standard. But here we see what God produces. 30, 60, and 100-fold. Each of these numbers, all of them, represent a good harvest. But we also see that there's a difference in fruitfulness. There's a big difference between 30 and 100. And the amount of fruit from my life may be far less than the amount of fruit in yours. But both are a good harvest. Both come from soil that Jesus has described as good. God will use each of us in different ways. There may be different levels of harvest, but all who believe will be fruitful. It's the mark of faith. It's the evidence of those who have truly heard. Like I've already said, Jesus tells us of four kinds of soil, but there's really only two groups. There are those who hear but never believe, and those who hear and their lives produce fruit as the evidence of faith. And if I'm going to serve you well, I must ask the question, which soil best represents your heart? As we hear this parable, we should first hear it as a warning. It should cause us to do some self-evaluation. Have you truly heard? Have you truly believed? Or are you someone who has heard but never with the ears of faith? Let me good, share good news with you. You may fear, based on verses 10 through 12, what if I'm in that category who seems to have come to a place where I have completely cut myself off? Well, take heart. If you're hearing now and feeling the conviction of God, then you can still respond. Anyone who responds with repentance and faith will never be turned away. And you don't have to feel like you have to wait until your heart is perfectly prepared. You don't have to clean out all the thorns first. No, God does the work of preparing the soil. And if he calls you and you respond in faith, he will bring the seed to harvest. He will produce the fruit. You don't have to start producing fruit before you respond to Jesus. No, repent and believe, and then he does that work in you. It's a warning. And I know that many of you who are, who are hearing this, you have believed. For us, this is still a warning. None of us are perfect. And part of the life of faith is to continue to rely on Christ during times of trouble and trial. We must acknowledge that there are those who when trouble comes and persecution comes, they fall away. And we must hear that and be warned. And as these things come into our life, we should cling to Christ. We also see that part of the Christian life is dealing with thorns. You have thorns in your life just like I do. And the Bible is clear that we must work hard to continue the fight against sin. And as we read this parable, we recognize that there are some who the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of the world and all the distractions lure them away. And as we see this, we must be warned and we must commit ourselves once again to seeking Christ and loving him and pursuing him above all else. Believer, 
Christian, hear the warnings of Christ. Don't simply rest. Fight. Do the work of faith. Strive to produce good fruit and be faithful in spreading seed. I think this parable should be sobering. We recognize that there are so many. We do not say this lightly or callously. We grieve as we recognize that many, because of the hardness of their hearts, will not hear. But we will continue to pray knowing that God can soften the soil. God can remove thorns. God can create good soil. So we pray and we ask and we share. This also should be an encouraging parable as we recognize that there will be those who believe. That there is soil that has been prepared. So this should encourage us not only for ourselves, but for others who will hear and respond. Lastly, this parable should produce grateful obedience. If you are in Christ, if you've been given the ears of faith, then thank God and allow your gratitude to motivate your obedience. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's go to God in prayer. God, I thank you that you are the great sower. That you have sown your seed in the hearts and the lives of so many of us. And God, this is our prayer. Would you continue to make us fruitful? Would you make us a people of obedience? Would you help us be faithful in spreading the seed God, I know we all have people on our hearts who seem to fall into the other three categories. Some who were hardened. Some who had shallow faith and fell away. Others who were choked out by the things of the world. God, we know that you can still do your work to open their eyes. You can soften the soil. You can remove the rocks and the thorns. So we ask you to clear the soil so the seed of your word can take root. We ask that you would continue to make us receptive to your word. That we'd be mindful of the areas where we may be tempted or distracted. Would you grow and strengthen us as we abide in you? And would you produce an abundance of fruit through us? And I pray that you'd be with us as we return to our day and to the week ahead. We need you. We trust you to be our help. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Church, I am looking forward to seeing you, many of you, next week right here in person. Um, But for all of you, I will look forward to seeing you at 1045 on Zoom. I love you, and I will talk to you very soon.